I don't, uh, I don't get to publicly do this. I, I privately do it. Um, but I don't get to publicly do a lot. But, um, you know, it's really neat to see um, a lot of preparation and gifts and that mixture coming together. And you really nail something. But I think today the, the music team, they kind of nailed it, didn't they? Um, I believe it was there. Yeah, that was, that was big time. So, um, yeah, we praise God that, that He has gifted you that, but, but also for your hard and diligent work. Thank you uh, for each of you. I know there's a lot of, trust me, there's a lot of work and planning that goes behind the scenes. And, um, and uh, so, uh, it's, it's, you know, I know that many of you who have been with us for a while have seen our, our, our music grow, you know, from one, from a one-lady show uh, to a multi-person show. Um, which is which is fantastic. So uh, we uh, we praise God. I mean, just so many things to just my heart really today is uh, is just overflowing as I as I thought about you um, this week and just all that God has has done and wants to do because he's he's actually downloaded some new stuff uh, to me recently uh, and and so that's um that's uh that, it's just it's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. Um, I call it download. You know, it's just um, he did it by Wi-Fi. It wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a hardwired thing. But you know, um, if you would this morning, go with me to Second uh, Samuel. I, I'll tell you this in order to keep myself accountable. I went back uh, last year and and listened to uh, the fall and winter sermons, like the very first snippet of each one. And so, um, you know, I was trying to critique myself, basically. But I, but I noticed I preached a lot from the New Testament. Now, I love the New Testament, right? But my heart, really, is for us to understand how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. So, I'm going to make sort of a promise here, which may be hard to keep sometimes. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to preach from the Old Testament every chance I get this, this year. All right? So, just... Uh, now, it doesn't mean that we won't have New Testament passages. But it'll mean that we want to find it and ground it in the Old Testament... And understand it first there. And so what I want to do this morning, if you remember, uh, two weeks back when I, when I started this sermon series on, on In the Pursuit of Happiness is what it's called. Um, and and we, we, you know, last week we had a guest speaker. But uh, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is happiness. And you know, we all seek it. We, all, we talked about this last time, sort of delved into the etymology of the term and, and where we get it and how it's not found directly in the Bible. But there are some some words that are very similar to happy, that are sometimes often translated even happy in certain translations. But we all seek happiness. I want to show you a guy in the Old Testament who's really happy. I mean, it's actually an emotion of happiness that overtakes him. And essentially, he's going to take off the outer coat here because, you know, when I raise my hand in this thing, I'm all constricted, you know. If I take this off, then I've got way more... And this is what he does. Notice, notice it right here in Second Samuel... <laughs> And we're going to start in verse 12 and move our way through uh, to 15 and then drop down to chapter 7 and go from 18 to 29. So notice here in 6 and 12. And now let me just set this up. The Ark of the Covenant, you remember that this is something that God told them to keep. This, was, this really represented for them God's very presence. This was in the Holy of Holies eventually. Um, and it contained the Ten Commandments, it contains Aaron's budding rod, and it contained a jar of manna. So three things that were you know, very meaningful 
to, to the people of Israel. And so the problem is they had lost the ark. Now, this is not the first time they lost the ark. They lost it in Judges. They lose it again after that period. And it's, it's lost. Uh, Eli's sons, they lose it. And so it, no one knows where it is. It ends up going to a house of, a, of an Israelite. And it remains there. And, and the person who, who kept it in hiding you know, was a Jew. And their house was blessed beyond measure all right, while they kept this ark. Well, it was finally discovered. And so David says, hey, let's go get that thing and bring it in Jerusalem. Well, they get it, and, and he says, all right, load it up on that cart, and let's roll. You know, he's, he's ready. I mean, David's a guy, a man of action. If you've ever read him, he's, you know, he, he, he's not, um, he is contemplative because he writes the Psalms, but he's a person that really acts and then thinks about it. Whereas Saul thinks about it, then acts, even though he, he oftentimes, you know, obviously the kingdom is taken away from Saul. Um, but David is on impulse. This is, I think, what gets him in trouble with his adultery. Anyway, he says, let's load this thing up, put it on the ark, I mean, put it on the cart, and let's, let's you know, hightail it to Jerusalem, right? Well, they put it on the, on the cart. Everything seems to be going fine. They hit a bump. God reaches out to stabilize it, which is a good thing. You know, you don't want the ark falling off after all this time and breaking to pieces. And God strikes him dead. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Halt the cart, literally, right? Um, what's, what's happening? If you know anything about, uh, about in Exodus where they're told how to carry the ark, that is not how you carry the ark. You carry it on long, extended poles where no one's even near it. Four people are to carry it. Extended poles. Not, on, not just throwing it on some cart and hightailing it to Jerusalem. So it's David's fault that this man dies. Ultimately, and uh, and God actually God kills this man. It's one of the few times in the Bible where God actually kills someone. Um, if you'd like to know more about that later, we can talk about it. It's it's a longer discussion than I have this morning. Um, but we're going to pick up as soon as this happens, and as soon as they start carrying it properly. Now let's pick up in twelve. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. city of David being Jerusalem. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal and danced, I'm sorry, and David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. See, I told you they were blowing the horn. Bum, bum. Um, after that, David then is seen by Michael, which is one of his, or Michal, which is one of his wives. And she uh, is displeased in our heart and embarrassed for David. You, you know the story. If, if you don't, you can read that next section. What then happens here, uh, as we're prepping for David's prayer, is, is David says, you know what? I am going to build a house for God. We've got the ark back. Why is God dwelling in a tent when I'm in you know, a nice brick house? I mean, he's still, he's still uh, holed up in a tent. So David says, I'm going to spend a lot of resources and build you a nice house, God. And basically, in chapter 7, the first part, God says, look, I haven't dwelt in a house since we left Egypt. I mean, just, that's going way back, right? I mean, you know, and so 
So God says, look, I've traveled around. We've moved around and in the desert. I've been in a tent for a long time. I don't need you to build me a house. But I tell you what, David, I'm going to build you a house. Now, there's a play in the Hebrew on house because he uses house for three different things here in chapter 7. I don't have the time, again, to go into it all. Ultimately, God says, I don't need you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house, which is his lineage, which is his legacy. In other words, David, there's going to be some, one of your sons is going to sit on the throne for all time. Now, what is Jesus called when he comes? A little New Testament connection here. What do the blind people say? Son of David, have mercy on Why? Because he's the son of David. He's the son that David has that will sit on the throne for all eternity. Now, let's pick up David's prayer. After, after he realizes this, Nathan comes and tells him, look, you're not going to build the house. Your son's going to build it. Um, you, you've, you've spilled too much blood. And, and so now David gives a prayer of gratitude. Notice these words here as we pick up in 7.18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. You ever done that before? You ever just sat there with the Lord? If you haven't, you really should. Just go into a room, shut the door. We call it closet prayer or closet time. Shut the door, be alone, and sit before God. Don't say anything. Just sit. Trust me. You'll start saying stuff eventually. And He'll start saying stuff to you. He'll start downloading some things to you that you, that you wouldn't have in the busyness of your life if you don't stop. Notice way that goes in and sits before the Lord and, the Lord sa- and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while. To come, and this is instruction for mankind. O Lord God, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods." And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant 
so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word to us this morning in the words of David. And we pray for your help now. As Paul mentioned a moment ago in 1 Corinthians, it's through the foolishness of preaching that you show up the wise. Would you help us to put our defenses down so we can hear from you this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes us happy? This is the question I started off with two weeks ago. It's a question I want you to again think with me on. What makes us happy? Well, one thing that makes us happy is when we know our core values. And we see one of those values come to fruition. Come into play. When we see one of them realized. I mean, you ever had one of these goals where you've been working toward it for years and you finally able to get it paid off or you're able to cross the finish line, so to speak, it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to be happy. But without goals, without a vision, as the Bible says, the people perish. Without a goal, there is no finish line. Without a goal, there are no dreams. If you've noticed our culture, and if you exegete our culture, interpret our culture, uh, you'll see that many people go through life without dreams, without visions, without core values, without any kind of goal. They're just trying to make it. What a sad reality to live. The Bible does not call us to that sort of reality. It calls us to have certain goals in mind, to have priorities, to have first things of importance. Um. I'm a big fan, uh, as you know, of, of the Navy SEALs and the work that they do. And I read nearly everything I can about them and watch movies about them. One of the movies I watched was Act of Valor. And it was a great, it was a great story, um, again, of valor and courage. And one of the lines in there has always stuck with me. They were around a fire, and it was before they went you know, downrange, as they call it. Uh, and they're having a meeting, and in that meeting... Here's one of the things that was, that was said. You live your life by a code, by an ethos. Every man does. It's your shoreline. It's what guides you home. And trust me, you're always trying to get home. Aren't we trying to get home? Amen. Aren't we still downrange, all of us? Absolutely. We're in the fight. If you haven't noticed, we're in enemy territory still. It's not time to relax. Yes, we've got things to celebrate today. And we're going to celebrate with all our might. Blowing our horns and shouting and waving. Doing all these sorts of things. Praying. The... But you know what? It's not time to relax. It's time to go full throttle. It's time to load up different things that we want to look and see and pray toward happening in the future. Goals. Dreams. Visions. This is what God is calling you to, not just me. 
He wants you to realize some dreams. Maybe, maybe you are just sort of going through life and, and just trying to week by week make it. Look, God wants to download for you. I'm using this term today because it means a lot to me. He's done this to me. Is He's downloaded a dream before. And, and I've seen those dreams realized. And when that happens, I mean, you want to dance like David danced. You want to shout. Um, I think I've told some of you this, but not from the pulpit. Uh, the other week, you know, the month or whatever, I was just messing around, you know, on Facebook, uh, sort of being dumb, and I and I found uh, online this triathlon watch that would be awesome to have, you know. But of course, it was three hundred dollars, and if you know anything about pastor salaries, you know that just doesn't fit in the budget, especially with four kids that are eating me out of house and home, literally. And so I put up there on Facebook to tag Jessica, and I just said, you know, hey, maybe I should create a GoFundMe account to get this, uh, get this watch, you know, just, just sort of joshing about. And uh, a guy responded on there that, that we, we knew, uh, he used to live sort of close to us, and uh, he's moved away, he's in Denver now. He wrote on there, he said, hey, uh, I've got one in my office, I'll send it Monday. I'm like, private message. Uh, you serious about this? Are you serious? Is this for real? You know. Well, as soon as he confirmed it, as soon as I got that watch, guess what I did? I did a little jig. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was jumping up and down. I mean, you know, $300 watch for free. Uh, I felt like it was a gift from God. I didn't have to fund anything. He just gave it to me. Um, you know, and God does that to us. If, if we are serving Him, uh, I'm telling you, He's going to drop you some little gifts. If we got our eyes open, He's going to drop you a little gift of love. Just like you do to your mate to let them know that you still love them. Little gifts here and there. He does this to us. It's not all the time. It's not some of this name it and claim it, blab it and have it sort of thing. That's not what we preach here. But you know what? He'll drop good things to you. He likes you. He loves you. And you know what the Bible says? He'll give you the desires of your heart. What are those desires? Do those desires match up with His? Because let me tell you something. You've got a match and gasoline when your desires match up with His. We're about to have combustion. We're about to get the engine rolling. You know, we as a church, we want to have the same desires that Jesus has. Amen. And you know what? This is why we do things like Outdoor Church. This is why we're involved with Kairos. We're trying to do the things that Jesus commands us to do in Matthew 25. You know, we're just literally checking them off the list. I mean, the ministry team that, we, that we've been able to form, the missions ministry team that we've been able to form, is, is literally checking off the lift, list different ministries to make sure that we're doing what He's called us to do. And you know what? We find that it's not any longer just a command. It's a joy. Amen. Can you believe that? It's a joy. People talk about, yeah, you're about to you know, get married, be you know, ball and chain. Look, it's a joy for me to be married. Marriage should be a joy. You say, well, we're going through... You know what? He can bring you to that place where it's a joy. He can give you a heart of forgiveness. He can soften your heart. You see, this morning, I want to I just briefly sort of open up and, and be... Uh, yeah, just be real for a little bit about my own personal values, my own personal core values. And they're biblical, so what I'm saying by introducing this to you is you also need to think through and see what is priority in your life. There's nothing more important in life than God. Amen. 
I mean, all of us would probably nod our heads and, and say, you know, hey, yeah, you're right. But I'm asking you this. When you talk about values, when you talk about core values, we're not just talking about idealism. We're talking about what you actually do. Where you actually spend your time. Where you spend your money. You know, if you look at somebody's schedule and then you look at their checking account, you can pretty much see what they value. It's a telling sign. So what is it for us? Do we really value God? As I reflected back this week in preparation for this sermon, my first real encounter with God that I can remember was at five years old. And all I knew was that the preacher, which happened to be my dad, was saying, you need Jesus in your heart, just like I told these precious children here. And I said, yeah, I do. And, and I remember very specifically, we turned two chairs inward at the dining table to face each other. And I held his hand at five years old, and I prayed a prayer. And I don't remember the exact prayer, but I, all I know is I do, do remember saying, I want Jesus in my heart. I, did I know what that meant? No. Do I still know what that means? No. How is that even possible? But you know what? It's not about understanding always. I don't understand Jessica, but I love her. <laughs> Look, I don't understand you. You don't understand me always, but we love each other. That's what family does. Understanding is not a prerequisite. Faith is. Amen. Faith is. Amen. We must trust Him. That's all it takes is trust. Belief. And so at five, I believed in Jesus. And you know what? All through my life, I, I tried to live right in grade school. I would argue with people that, you know, about the Bible. I mean, it started early for us. If you know anything about DAGs, it's, it's sort of a curse that we, we enjoy a good argument. Um, <laughs> bad thing is when only DAGs are in the room, then it can get, it can get interesting. But <clears throat> uh, <laughs> a lot of egos in there, too. Um, especially two preachers and then the doctor, you know. Everybody thinks they know everything, you know. <laughs> of course, I always come out on top, but you know, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Um, grade school, middle school, high school. And in high school, I started, I started sort of wanting to, to go somewhere different than the way I had been going. And I started toying around with certain ideas and, and never really diving in, but just toying with the ideas. And I realized... February 28, 1999, that, that there were really two paths. And really in life, there are only two paths. God's way and any other way. And that night, about 8.30 at night, when I was 17 years old, which I just celebrated, by the way, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, I had to make a choice. And I chose God. Again, I chose God. Praise God. He was there. And He, and he, and he did some things in my heart. Um, that I cannot explain to you in words. I, even if I were to sit down with you for an hour, I still wouldn't be able to exactly communicate what He did to change who I was. I was like the Pharisees. On the outside, you could find nothing. But in the inside, you know, nothing bad. On the inside, that was only bad. It was darkness. It was emptiness. But that day, He changed the inside. And when the inside changes, then the outside changes naturally because of His supernatural work here. If you're trying to force it, you know what? Keep praying. 
that he does the inward work. Because the inward work is where true holiness, true true life and love and forgiveness and joy and peace, all these things will come out out of the relationship that's happening in here. Remember the whole Jesus in your heart thing? That's not just a kid's thing. That's for you. That's for me. He is really to be in our hearts at the control center. And so my journey with God didn't stop there. I actually went to school to learn about God. I went to a Bible college for four years and then I went to seminary after that for four more years, eight years post-education or post-public uh, you know, um, education, I should say. And, uh, and I loved it. I loved it. I mean, you know, my job was to, to try to learn as much as I could about God and, and the things of God. And, and uh, it, you know, again, He became the love of my life. Uh, he still is the love of my life. And, you know, we've been through a lot. And you can, you can sit here and tell your story. But today I'm giving you a personal shot here, a personal, a personal vignette of my, of my own experience with Jesus. And, and even as recently as February of 2013, had a, you may remember, I went away for um, an Advocare retreat when I met Drew Brees and got to hear George W. Bush speak, which is sort of a big highlight for me. And uh, I was in the same room with, with those guys. And uh, you know what? I was also in the same room with Jesus. It was just me and him when I got back to the hotel. And he did some things in my heart in 2013. If you remember, I missed that Sunday, but I was worshiping with actually 14,000 people. all at once. I've never done that before. Not that many people. 14,000 people worshiping at once and under one roof. And God changed me. He made it easier for me to pray for you. Uh, he made it. He, he puts you in my heart in a way that, that I can't get out. Uh, I, I don't know how to actually describe it. it it's, he, he downloaded something. That I, it's like, it's a good virus. It's in me. You are in me. Um, and I carry you in my hearts. There, there's nowhere I go in the world. Even when I'm in India, guess, guess who I'm thinking about? Think about you guys. I'm praying for you. I mean, what a thought that is. And, and we're told in the Bible to carry one another. In our hearts, in prayer. There's nothing more important than God. But the second core value that comes after that is who you'll marry, your spouse, the one you become one with. And of course, for me, this is this is Jessica, my wife. And you know, our first meeting was at church, which is which is cool. And uh, I made sure I sat in front of her so that she noticed me. And, uh, and afterward, I came up to her and, and talked to her. And, you know, we, I said, you know, hey, um, we got all the little small stuff out of the way. And I said, you know, hey, what, what do you feel like God is calling you to do? You know, because she was graduating high school. And she said, well, recently I think he's actually called me to be a, a, a pastor's wife, a preacher's wife. And I was like, preacher's wife? I've never heard anybody say that. I said, well, I mean, you know that I'm a preacher, right? <laughs> And the rest, as they say, is history, right? Um, borrowed my dad's truck on our first date, and so she'd think I was cool instead of my little small Saturn. Uh, <laughs> ten years later, I finally got a truck of my own. <laughs> took me a while, but uh, finally got there. Um, and, you know, Jessica has changed me in ways that, again, I could not describe to you. Oftentimes, when I'm texting her, my auto text, when I'm trying to do Jessica, it says Jesus. And 
you know, for me, she is Jesus to me a lot. In, in more ways, more ways than, than you'll ever know. Because there's some things that, obviously, in a marriage, you don't, you don't tell about the other. And, uh, and she knows things about me that, that would not make you trust me. Um, but for her, she's forgiven me. She's helped me. And, uh, and changed me forever. Um, so we celebrated 10 years last year. This May will be 11. And, um, and I come from a rich tradition in our family. Both sides of my grandparents, on both sides of my mom and dad, uh, both were married for over 50 years. Um, my mom and dad, uh, I don't know how, over 30 years, is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, do the calculations, dude. Come on. Um, I t- I'm not good at math if you don't know me. If, if, we're being, if we're being very open today, I'm not good at math, so just bear with me. Um, you know, <clears throat> my wife comes second to Jesus, to God, because I cannot love her without His love in my heart. She cannot love me without His love. He's the one who designed that. And we love him first, then we love our mate next. Over, you know, if if it's between um, even our kids, you, my friends, my brother, she's coming. She's coming first. She's right there. It's God, Jessica. Then after Jessica comes my boys, my four boys, family. Family is again something God has designed, not us. Jackson, Baylor, Bo, and Ty. All these little dudes, you know, Jessica carried in her body, which is a, an amazing process. We've got some ladies going through it. One just went through it and now uh, is finished with gestation. Uh, and, and he is, he is uh, born. And, and so Miles is with us. He's our newest member um, of our church. And so we're, we're excited about it. I remember every single birth of my, of my children. I was there watching. And it, yeah, I, I, again, words fail me. You know, preachers should be always people with words, right? Well, words fail me when I'm talking about the core things that matter in my life. And my boys, you know, when Bobo walked down this morning, uh, down the stairs, I mean, and gives me this big hug, I can't tell you what happens in my heart. When Ty comes to sleep with us at 3 a.m. in the morning, I can't tell you what happens in my heart. <laughs> And it's not anger. It really, I mean, he's, you know, last night I got a little bitty fellow. I mean, I'm 200 pounds. I got a little bitty dude that's like pushing me off the bed in my back. (laughs) And I love it. I love it. I love them. And I love that God has given us family. And, you know, I don't deserve to be a dad. I'm not the best dad. Um, I would love to be as good as my own dad, who... Uh, is to me the perfect dad. You know, he's the one person in my life who I could tell anything and he would never judge me. He would never leave me. Now, he would tell me straight up when I was wrong. So in that sense, he judged me, but not to hell. That's what we're talking about when we talk about judgment. Yes, we judge things, you know. Again, like I always say, if an old ice cream truck pulls up to my house and a guy asks our kids to get in there, I'm going to make a judgment call and say no. Um... But we don't judge people to hell. We don't know. We're not God. And you know what? He never judged me like that. Instead, He judged the situation to help me walk out of it. That's what a dad's supposed to do. It's what a mom is supposed to be there for, nurturing her children. 
all the way from here to here to here when they leave. You know, our kids, we understand, are not going to be with us always. But you know what? We're going to be with each other. That's the key thing. Some people forget this. They put the kids ahead of the marriage. You do that and you're destroying the kids. Amen. It's not God's design. Instead, God, marriage, family. Then guess what? Work comes. Got to work. And my work has been the joy of my life. Yes, I want to be a Navy SEAL, but that's, <laughs> that's not a reality. That's not an option for me. So... The way I look at it is I'm a seal for God. You understand what I'm saying? I, I'm behind enemy lines. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've sort of drawn up some battle plans and we, you know, we're making inroads. I mean, you know, we're moving to a different base of operation. And so this is sometimes secretly the way I think about things, just to try to appease that side of me. Um, I'm being honest with you this morning about what I value because values matter. What do you value? What Do you have a list? Do you have something that you live for? That you can see real? When I watch, when I one day when I watch those kids walk across the stage, I'm going to be with tears in my eyes because it'll be a dream that's realized. And I started preaching in 1999, and that's been that's been what God has called me to do. It's what He's gifted me with. And it's what I try to do the best job I can with. Um, I've worked at many different places. McLaren Heights, doing youth pastorate stuff. Uh, Kruger Independent Methodist Church, way out in the delta of Mississippi. You know, on a good Sunday, we had 12. 15. Um, Jackson's baptism actually was the largest crowd we had. And it was the largest crowd they had had in many, many years. And it was such a celebration. I mean, a little small church setting. I mean, they threw us a big party. It was, it, was, it was a very meaningful thing. I mean, we have so many ministries, m- memories from our work. And you know what? You say, well, I don't, I don't get to do what you get to do. I, I know, and, and, I, and I hate that in a way because I wish everybody could experience. But you know what? You have gifts. There are people in this room that are so creative, so smart. I know you are because I know you. And you're so gifted. And you know what? Leave a legacy at work. That's what God, it it doesn't matter if you're preaching or if you're a missionary or if you pick up garbage. Seriously, do it for the glory of God. Do it to leave a legacy, to leave something. Some of you are in positions where you're actually over people. You have influence. You're a person of authority. God put you there, the Bible says. Treat it. Yeah, thanks for that amen, (laughs) Todd. You know, my ministry at Calhoun, which, you know, um, again, I believe God gave that to me. And I take it very seriously. Um, God, marriage, family, work, friends. You can list a host of other things. The next thing, you know, for me is really after that, after friends even, is is play. My, my, you know... um, if you know me, you, you know I enjoy... I mean, yes, I can work just as hard as the next guy, but when it's time to play, I'm ready to play. And I'm going to play as hard as I work. Uh, maybe, maybe even harder sometimes. Uh, it's the, you know, <laughs> somebody asked me the other day, like, why do you find it enjoyable to run five miles and you know, tear your muscles in your legs and all this kind of... 
Um, it might have something to do with that Navy SEAL thing that I'm trying to, trying to work out, but um, trying to keep up with those guys. You know, you've got to have some playtime. What's the old saying about Jack? Somebody help me out because I can't find it in my notes right now. A dull boy, yes. And, you know, it's true. God, did He not give us a day of rest? A day to have fun? A day to be with our family? He commands it. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, if it's not Saturday for you, make it someday. Make it Sunday. Whatever it is, you must rest. This is by God's design. Even God, who never sleeps, which is awesome, I think, um, He rests on the seventh day to set a pattern for us. We must play. We must enjoy His world. He wants us to. He designed all this stuff so we could enjoy. He didn't have to, you know, as I said yesterday outdoor church, He didn't have to make food so enjoyable. But He did. He didn't have to be make nature so beautiful. But He did. So colorful. But He did. Paints every night in the sky. Every morning in the sky. He paints something new. For us. To enjoy. To play in. Let's leave this morning asking the Lord to solidify in us certain values. Instill within us core things that we can live by. That we can put out here to attain. And let's pray then toward that goal. Let's live with purpose. Not just meandering through life, but with purpose. That's the only way to be happy in life is to see goals that you have being realized and to pray for those things, to cherish those who are close to us. We all have a ministry. We all are part of a family, even if it's a broken family. Even if it's not your biological family, you're still part of a family. You're part of this family at Harvest Point. And today as a family, we're about to trek across and go south to a new place, to a new phase on a new journey, a new step in the road, a new mountaintop for us. And you know, yes, there'll be valleys. There will be. But you know what? As long as we stay unified in Jesus Christ, we can make it to the end. Amen. As long as we live for God and others, which is what I've just laid out here, Jesus says, you know what? You're fulfilling the whole law. You don't have to understand everything, but you better be doing those things. Are you? Because you can start today. Today is a new day, and His mercies are new every day. Amen.